Tonight, I called this message up and down, and we're trying to get into a series, and we might talk about the same, along the same vein for the next two or three weeks to try and establish an understanding. Play the video. I want to show you this. Very dramatic. I found that on my phone while I'm standing in front of you. But that's the truth. That's it. So, uh, sure. Feels like I need a horse and a spear and a shield and riding up and down here and shouting, yeah, you can do it, baby. Okay. The one ball went straight and the other one has ups and downs. And I think that's a good equation for life. That sometimes when things don't have any challenges, ups or downs, and you merely go straight, I think you're going slow, and I don't think you'll go as far, and I don't think you'll go as fast. I think the ups and downs in life is necessary for you to succeed. I think the ups and downs teach you how to handle the next ups and downs that you will have. There's this Bible verse that says there's a season for everything in life. See if you can find that for me. Drop that on the screen when you have it. For everything under the sun, there is a season. For everything under the sun. So it's not a question if some of these things will happen. For to everything, there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes. A time to be born, a time to die. That's quite easy. You've already covered 50% of that. Not much to look forward there. And a time to plant. A time to pluck what is planted and a time to kill. Don't do that. <laughs> and a time to break down. A time to build up and a time to weep. A time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Some of you shouldn't. <laughs> a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones and a time to embrace. And a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. That's just those two there. If you can just assimilate that and understand. A time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep. And a time to throw away, a time to throw away. A time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence. And a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. What profit has the worker from which... Okay, moving on. Everything in life has a time. There is a time for everything. It's not, it's, 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 if you live a full life, you'll experience most of all of that. If, you, if you're living a full life and intend to live a full life, you have to brace for all of that. You're going to experience all of that. But you'll see birth and you'll see death and you'll cry and you'll weep and you'll date and the guy will leave you and you'll Date and the girl will leave you and you'll date and she'll say yes when you ask her the 15th time to marry you. And then there's a time for everything under the sun. You'll go through these ups and downs in life. And it's when you get ups, when you try and escape these ups and downs and when you try and mitigate these problems that you try, life begins to, to fill up the, vo the, the valleys and bring down the highs in your life. And that's not the same as the song that we sing, fill up the valleys. It's you trying to avoid life. And when you do that, it slows you down and you become parked. Life is full of very many difficult decisions. I remember when I was young. 
which is, it feels like the other day. I had to make decisions and I don't know if you feel the same way, but have you ever come to making a decision about something which skateboard to buy? Not? Okay. Which rollerblades or which BMX or which sports you want to do or, and it gets later in life and you want to sell something and buy something or you want to buy a car and you don't know should you and you become a Christian and now you're trying to find out how do I please God? Do I buy this car? Shouldn't I buy this car? If I got, buy this car, will God help me pay for it? If he, if is he going to pay? Should I buy the cheaper one, the more expensive one? Should I buy a TSI or just a T? I can't afford the I, SI. And these decisions is sometimes paralyzing and you sit in front of these decisions. Nowadays, decisions are easy. It helps when you're older. But in the beginning, when you go through the pain of making a decision, it's hard because life is hard. And it is those decisions, if, if none of it bothers you from when you can remember up to now, none of your decisions bothers you, I don't think you're learning. These decisions you have to make. Do I move to Cape Town? Do I move to Pretoria? Do I study this or do I study that? How many people do you know that studied the wrong thing? Don't and, and every decision you make has a consequence and it hurts to do these decisions. Life is full of ups and downs. We somehow have this unspoken idea that because you're a Christian, life is not going to be hard. That's why God put it in the Bible to remind you, no, it will be hard. He's reminding you that even when it is hard, the outcome is different because he is with you. He never promises you that there will not be life. He says, there are the fool builds his house on the sand. The wise man builds his house on the rocks. And when the winds came, and when the winds came, it's not if the winds do come, if you cannot dodge them and the winds come, unlucky you. To every person who builds, winds will come. Regardless if you're a smart builder or a bad builder, the winds will come. Life is full of ups and downs. And if you anticipate that these things are coming and prepare well for them, then maybe the outcome can be different. But if you don't, and it catches you off guard, and you consider yourself a victim because life happened to you, you'll never succeed. You'll never amount to much. So the reason I want to, want to talk about these things is because we're trying to build a church full of people that believe God for more, that believe God for the impossible. I grew up with a saying, I grew up with a saying and I repeated it to myself. If it's not bigger than me, it's not God. If whatever is before me is not bigger than me, it must not be God. It cannot be God. Because when God wants to do something in your life, he's not going to do something that you can do without him. Because how can he get the glory if you can do it without him? And so I, I'm preaching and, and talking to a church tonight that has the audacity to believe that God wants to do a bigger thing than your family sees in you. But I'm preaching to a church that I, I, I would want to dream bigger because the God that we serve is bigger than, than what we are used to. To a large degree, what we're being exposed to. I want to preach to you that you would come outside of your own house. When, when God spoke to Abraham, he said to him, go out the tent. When he came out the tent, he said, look up. I'm going to cause you to multiply like the stars in the sky. He couldn't see that while in his tent. And how many of us cannot see the big dream that God has for your life because you're so stuck in your dwelling, your, your own house, your own way of doing things, your own structures in your own system. You cannot believe God for big things. And I have to speak to a people that believes big because God is a big God and he is a, an able God. 
I don't want to put God in a box and say, this is the limitation and the boundaries of what you can do and perform in my life. Why would it be necessary to say that I'm able to do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me if my dream is only as big as my capacity? I want to dream as big as some people dream big when they go to a buffet. <laughs> I want to be the guy that overloads my platter and the, and the person behind the till says, you took this literally, right? Eat as much as you can eat. I want to be the guy that goes down to the local buffet and goes in for seconds and third. I had a pastor who asked me, we invited him to the youth ministry. I was the youth uh, organizer at the time. And I said to him, come and preach, uh, speak to our youth. And he said, what do you want us to speak about? And he sa I said to him, talk to us about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want you to give us insights and understanding. And after the message, he gave an invitation, an altar call. He said, um, I want to pray for you that God would put these gifts in your life. So each one of you, tell me which gift appealed to you and which gift do you want me to pray for for you. And I uh, went last. It's like the guy sitting at the back of the bus. You gather information as the line goes forward. And so I sat there and I heard the guy say, and one guy said, I want the gift of the prophetic, the gift of prophecy so that I may prophesy. And the other one said, gifts of healing. I really want to see God do miracles. And he got to me and I said, which one do you want? I said, I want all nine. I want all nine. Pray for all of them. Pray for all of them. Whenever God wants to use whichever one, I want to be able to be used by God in what, whichever one. The only reason you don't dream big is because you believe people around you tell you to dream small. You're not dreaming big because God can't do big. You're dreaming small to please people who don't want you to dream big. There are many people in your lives who would prefer you to be you. God's not one of them. God is not, is not a God that wants to put limitations on your life and what you're able to reach. The problem is not that. It's not to inspire you to dream big. The problem is to inspire you to endure the cost of reaching big. I don't want to just be a dreamer. When Joseph approaches brothers and said, here comes the dreamer. I don't want to be just the guy that they tell, oh, there's the dreamer. I want to be the guy that can show the fruit. I want to be the guy that points to the fruit and say, this is the fruit. I want to be the, one of the 12 spies uh, Joseph, uh, Joshua and Caleb, who comes back with the fruit on shoulder and say, this is what we found in the promised land. Now let's go get it. I want to be a kind of guy that says, this is what God said he is able to do. I'm, I'm silly enough to believe him that he is able to do so. And then set chase after those dreams. I think at my age, we can see some of the fruits already in my life, but it'd be worthless if it's just one person. I want to have all of you and this church, this ministry, and you individually reach the goal for the collective glory of God. Is that, is, is that okay? So how do we get there? You have to understand that life is full of ups and downs. And before I go, go ahead, I just want to point something out in this morning's message in Matthew chapter uh, 25. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Now we have a guy with five talents, two talents, and one talent. But here is what he qualifies when the guy with the five talent comes to him. He says to him, well done, good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things i will make you ruler over many things just put that verse up there it's verse 21 in matthew 25 as the lord said to him well done good and faithful servant i think what god has done in this parable is given us two things that i think will lead uh, the bible doesn't give us a formula but it gives us principles. 
principles is not a formula. A formula is if I do this exactly like that, I'll have that result, that science. I think a principle has some outliers where it doesn't apply. I mean, if you're living in Somalia, it's very difficult to have the same principle that works in America work for you there. It's a different thing. God is still the same God, but things work differently in different places. But there is a very good principle. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is what the guy with the five talents is called. Good and faithful. I want to start off by saying the second thing. Life is full of ups and downs. And if you want to see God's hand in your life, those qualifications has to be present in the ups and downs. Many people has those virtues present when life is up. And those virtues are out the door when life is down. When you are a Christian, your life is stable in the storm and in the sunshine. Your life has to be the same all over. Good and faithful should be virtues of the Christian when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it. When you're laughing and when you're crying. When you're celebrating and when you're mourning. When you're in joy and when you're out of joy. Every part of your life has to be filled with these two things. Be good and be faithful. We can't cast, cast these things away. And success, I want to tell you right now, will be elusive to a Christian that pretends to be good and faithful. Your goodness and your faithfulness is not measured by your pastor who congratulates you for showing up in church. Good and faithfulness is not tracked by our Unite 180 app. It can track your attendance, but it doesn't track your goodness and your faithfulness. That is something that God himself is only and only him is privy to the level of your goodness and your faithfulness. And I want to tell you right now, I don't believe that increase comes if you're not good and faithful with what God gives you. Make sense? All right. So we want to start off. I want to take you to Genesis. We'll start in Genesis. And the guy I want to use is, is Jacob. Jacob is is the son of uh, Isaac. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not called the God of Abraham. And because Isaac and Jacob is his sons, he's automatically their God. He is the God of Abraham, and he gives a revelation to Isaac, and he's the God of Isaac. He is the God of Jacob because of the encounters he had with Jacob. He is, he is it doesn't help that he is the God of some people in your lives, uh, people that you may know, he, if they call him Lord, it doesn't automatically transcend into your life. That's why I'm praying for my son's uh, son and my daughters, my biological children. As, as, uh, I'm getting into a mess again. I'm praying for all of you. But I pray for them because they're not automatically securing a, a, a seat in heaven because I'm the pastor. They have to have a revelation of God that is their own because otherwise their journey is based on my experience and not theirs. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have this guy called Jacob. And out of the three people, we, we hear a lot more about his mess than we do about Abraham. But don't think that Abraham is all that perfect. I mean, Abraham is not that perfect. He had children with his, uh, his wife's um, servants. He, I mean, uh, Ishmael, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isaac is this, the firstborn of the promise of God in his life. But Ishmael is because he couldn't wait for the promise and he messed up and yet Abraham is the father of faith. So Jacob uh, comes from a family that's dysfunctional. Isaac, Isaac married Rebecca. Rebecca is not, not really well. I mean, she dressed her one son in animal's clothing and told her husband, this is 
Jake, uh, uh, Esau. I mean, if she clothed Esau, uh, J- uh, Jacob in animal's clothing and lies to her own husband, what kind of mother is that? So God is getting ready to birth a people that is called his people. He has a plan in Abraham. So in Genesis, he says, I'm bringing a savior into the world. He's bringing Jesus into the world. And he chooses a guy called Abraham to fulfill this plan. Abraham is not perfect. Abraham has a son called Isaac. Isaac is not perfect because Abraham sends his servants. Servants go chooses a wife. How many of you would be happy if your parents chose your wife? So Isaac got his wife chosen for him. So now Isaac and, 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 and Rebecca has this child called Jacob. Jacob is in and, and it gets born. But watch this. Now Jacob is, I want to read to you this first before I get there. Genesis chapter 25. Rachel, uh, Rebecca is now pregnant with Jacob. Jacob is the guy that God is going to bring through his lineage. It's Abram, Isaac, Jacob. And God is talking about the promised land in the future. And Jacob is one of, you know Israel, when we talk about Israel in the war now, between Israel and Hamas, and, and, and Israel in the Bible times, and the tribes of Israel, that's Jacob. So he's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Jacob's kind of, kind of a big deal. Jacob is not like a side chick that we read one chapter about. Jacob's the guy, right? Okay, so here we have Jacob, and Jacob is about to make his appearance on the world map. And so his mommy falls pregnant with Jacob. It's verses chapter 25, verses 24. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were two, uh, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out was red, and her whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. So Jacob is in the womb. He doesn't get to get the whole womb all for himself. Is there any twins in the room? Really? So many of you? Wow. Jacob shared a womb. He shared a womb with Esau, which the Bible says in the latter scriptures, I think it's in Hebrews somewhere, God says Esau, he hated. So Jacob doesn't get to have the womb all to himself. You know womb. When you get really lonely and upset and you curl up in your bed and we call it you're sucking your thumb, you, you, you curl up like this, that's where you feel the most. You know why you do that? Because that's how you were in your mother's womb. That's your safe space. Now imagine there's two there. And every time you're in your safe space, your brother kicks you in the head. And Esau and Jacob, his life story doesn't begin with him being born in Sandton. His life begins with him and his brother in a womb fighting for space. So, so Jacob eventually gets born in a dysfunctional family, holding onto his brother's leg, fighting for his life. So he comes out of this womb. That's his story. So you don't have Jacob who arrives on the scene in a palace. You read of none of these easy stories are in any of the Bible characters' lives. You have Moses. The first thing he sees is knives cutting children up. What are you doing, mommy? Puts him in a basket, puts him in a river, and here he's doing this first white river rafting episode, and he can't even walk yet. You think you had life hard. You got born with a C-section in a proper uh, private hospital, net care. Moses got a 
had no C-section. He came out and went swimming day one. Life is hard. It's got ups and downs. Imagine, imagine you're sitting and you go like, oh, my mom, my pa, the fight so fire. Get trauma. Imagine you were raised by a completely different country, completely different woman in a palace, and you find out this is not your parents. Now, I know there might be people in here who's lost parents, who've grown up uh, in an orphanage, and, and you go through those things. You're not the first one. If you want to carry that tag and make that the reason that you never succeed in life, go right ahead. Moses didn't get that liberty. I can go through these characters one by one. You have, we'll get to Joseph. We, we're still stuck here with, so his early birth years aren't easy. In chapter 25, verse 29, describes how Esau sold his birthright. Jacob is there making a pot of stew. His brother comes out. His brother is, is the one that knows how to use the arrow and a bow. He goes hunting. He comes out and he's, he buys his brother's birthright. Imagine that for a family story. Buying your brother's birthright. It's an up and down in his life. He, he argues, and now his brother used to be his buddy. That's why his buddy could come up to him and say, hey man, give me some stew. He says, no, sell me your birthright. They do this deal, and right after that deal, the relationship deteriorates because we read it in the story. Not, not that we have time for this, but his brother says, he robbed me. Now he's robbed me a second time. The moment his mother closes Jacob in animal skin to act like he is Esau, Esau gets the, uh, he gets the blessing from the father. I wonder where that is. Yes, it's in Genesis 27, verses 1 to 29, how Rebekah helps Jacob deceive his, Isaac, his father, to receive this blessing. Now, when Jacob receives this blessing, his own brother goes like, that's the second time this young man has robbed me, that deceiver, and his name is accurate. He's a deceiver. That's why he's done this to me. So his brotherly relationships is deteriorating, but in him is a future that God wants to do something in his life. When we go through stuff like this and hard times, we want to say, God is far from me. As if God couldn't account for your ups and downs. How many of you, I'm trying to figure out because if I talk about marriage, I'm missing half of you because you're not married. Who's not married? It's still fun. Every single time. Do you not know how to? Or are you just too young? Who's over 20? Okay. Do you not know how to? Some of you are married and you still put up your name. That doesn't help. You're still married, okay? <laughs> but you're, you're, let me get back to the story. Jacob deceives his own brother. So his brotherly relationships is deteriorating. And now it's not as easy because, because his brother is the hunter. His brother is quite upset with him. Uh, uh, Jacob's dream. So he flees from his brother and God warns him in chapter 28. Let me see if I can read that. Chapter 28, where is this? Chapter 28, Jacob leaves Beersheba and set out for Haran. This is in verse 10. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching into heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it, the Lord stood and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. 
all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the, the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it and he was afraid. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. So here he is. Um, he called the place Bethel. I think Bethel, what does Bethel mean? I forgot. And here he is running away from his brother because he, stole, he, he took his birthright. He deceived his own father. His name is Jacob, which means deceiver. Actually, it means heel grabber, but it comes down to uh, deceiver. Heel grabber. Now he is in a place where everything is down. He is leaving his family on a warning. And yet God speaks to him. In the down season of his life, where he is all by himself, in a hard, it puts his head on a rock, which means it's a hard place. If you put your head on a rock, it's not a pillow. It's not one of those foam-like pillows, a hard rock. Puts his head down on a hard rock. It talks, I, if you put your head on a hard rock, it's not comfortable. He's in an uncomfortable place in his life. And God begins to speak to him. You think that your life has to be easy and work out. And then you're praying, God, please tell me, how can I be of service in your life? If God is going to be in service, if you're going to be in service of God, I'm telling you right now what the devil does very well is work out what God wants to do. And if it's meaningful, he begins to interfere. If there is something in your life that God wants to do through your life that is meaningful, I have to tell you right now that this moment the devil finds out about that and not say to himself because he is not omnipotent. He's only in one place at one time. But when darkness finds out what God is trying to do in your life, everything in your life will begin to go downhill. And that's why the Bible says everything works for the good of those that love the Lord. I'm trying to preach this message to you to tell you if you are trying to get to where God wants you to be, you're going to go through ups and downs. But if you can keep your head on your shoulder, you'll realize that the ups and downs are all working out in my favor to build momentum to get where God wants me to be. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm working. I'm, I'm working on this. The problem is that when we go through these ups and downs, it is, it is possible that the difficulty and the duration thereof may tell me that maybe God is not involved and I'm confusing myself. It is possible for you to be stuck in the same cycle of failure consistently, never reaching a breakthrough, that you may tell yourself that maybe God is not involved. And the more you tell yourself that, the more you give up on the dreams of success and victories and breakthroughs and reaching a point where God is where, where man can see the fruit of what God had done in your life. People don't like it when we preach this way because they don't want us to give you hope that God can do something spectacular in your life. They want us to tell you that God's not going to do it. You have to be average. Don't expect anything because if you don't expect anything, you won't be disappointed. And if we tell you that God wants to do something big in your life, half of you will be disappointed. Half of you won't be disappointed because God didn't do it. You can't do it. You are going to be disappointed and half of you may be disappointed because you'll never go through the fight that you have to, to get there. It's not God and it's not that it's not possible. It's you. You're the reason God will never fulfill that thing. 
And the reason I'm going to keep on preaching this is because I want to get you over yourself. I want to get you out of your own mindset. I want to get you out of your family's mindset. I want to get you out of a community mindset that, that tells you don't dream big. Don't dream that the impossible can become possible. And I want to condition you for the fight that is ahead of you if you sign up and say, God, here I am, send me. Because if you do, you have to be aware that there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. Jacob never signed up for any of this. The reason he got signed up is because his dad was marked by God. All of YouTube would have warned everybody against Jacob. Let me tell you right now, if Jacob had a church in 2024, he would have multiple YouTube channels warning people don't go to his church. And yet God rocks up in his hard place. God pitches up in his difficult season and says to him, Hey, Jacob, yes, God, I want to do a big thing in your life. I want to do such a big thing that for centuries after this moment, people will be mentioning your name on the face of this planet. Wars and stuff will happen surrounding your name. Yeah, but God, I'm called a deceiver. I don't care. I marked you for greatness. He had to go through some tough things. And here this Jacob is sleeping in this place. Where, where are we? 28. We jump to 29. Now Jacob dreams about this letter. Chapter 29, verses 15 to 30. You can follow the story. He says, okay, I'm going to my uncle, Laban, Laban. He goes and works for his uncle. I mean, that's family. Why would you work for family and family? Family cares for one another. So he begins to work for Laban and he's there um, shearing the sheep or whatever he does. One day, around the corner, walks out this pretty little girl, Rachel. He drops the sh shearer, looks at her, he goes like, yo. <laughs> it looks at her like some of you look across this room. He looks at her and you should work for me for nothing. Tell me what your wages should be. And he negotiates, he thinks he's clever. Laban says, he's doing, the name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel, Leah was weak-eyed, which is mean, let's have a skill. <clears throat> I'm not saying that. The Bible says it. Rachel had a lovely figure. And was beautiful. The Bible mentions that. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years and return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So he begins to work for seven years. And, and I mean, that's commitment. That's commitment. That's commitment. But what you don't know is if you really like the girl you like and you want to marry her, you'll work for her for the rest of your life. So seven years is quite nothing. <laughs> Jacob served Rachel, for Rachel seven years like only a few days to her, uh, to him. It felt like a few days, seven years. You working, that's commitment, man. You working, you go into the office for seven years and all you think about, now I'm thinking seven years is a long time. She's getting older. Let's hurry this up. I mean, what, this is the guy that God said, I'm going to give you the moon and the stars and the sky and everything in it. You're going to left and the right and the front and the back, everything, this whole land is going to be your land. I'm going to make you this main guy. He works and marries the wrong girl. You're having a tough time in Montana? One day when you get to heaven, you're going to speak to Jacob. 
And you're going to ask Jacob, how did that feel? And he's going to tell you, it sucked, man. I worked every day. I couldn't wait for my wedding night. The, the next morning I wake up, I'm lying next to Rachel. Uh, Leah. He wished it was Rachel. He wakes up next to Leah. Rachel he loved. Leah he didn't love. But seven of his children, I think it was seven. Seven of the children came from Leah. Seven of Jacob's children he had by Leah. Rachel only in the latter part of her life fell pregnant by the grace of God. I don't know how many children she had. So imagine working seven years, you waking up. That's just, you are supposed to be, here's the point. You're supposed to be Jacob, who's, who God will use to fill the planet and will, will through that lineage will bring forth Je Je Jesus. And your concern is I married the wrong girl. That's a serious letdown that you wouldn't expect to be in one of our heroes of our faith. But he married the wrong girl. So he has marriage problems. He's not there and she's cooking a meal in the new La Crusade, Crusade Potter. She's standing in the kitchen and he doesn't know what to say to her. You understand? He, he's not happy. It's Leah. And now he married her and every time he looks at Leah, he's looking over her shoulder at Rachel. This is the, the patriarch of faith. This is, this is from Israel. And he's married the wrong girl. What are you allowing to disqualify God's plan in your life? Because you, it's a sword. It's no sword. Leave us no sword. Life's, life's tough. Mommy and daddy is having fights. I can't succeed. No, I, I, I didn't get the job I wanted. I didn't get accepted to the university where I, want, where I applied. I can't pay my school fees. My parents aren't rich. What, if, what are you allowing? He left his whole family, work, went to work for his humble uncle, worked seven years, got the wrong girl. Now the uncle says to him, no problem. You want the pretty one? Work another seven. He spends 14 years of his life just trying to get to marry the right girl. Some of us spend two weeks dating someone. We go like, the other say, yeah, it's my throat. He worked seven years to get into the right relationship. He has these children. I'm, I'm telling you the story so that you can see the difficulty for him to get to where God gives him the promised land. This is still small fry. This, in the story of Jacob, him marrying, getting tricked by Laban is small fry compared, compared, it's when I want to speak Afrikaans and English at the same time. Compared to what the problems he'll face in his future. He's going to face difficulties that marrying the wrong girl is minute, prop, minute in the scale of bigger things coming his way. He, he, he now has this, now he, he leaves where we are now. The story of Jacob working for Laban. Genesis 30, the birth of Jacob's children, including Joseph and Benjamin, wealth and departure from Laban. So now he wants to leave Laban. Laban doesn't want him to leave and he wants to leave. He wants to do his own thing. So he takes his animals and he leaves. Now Laban is setting chase after him. So he thinks Laban is going to kill him. He, he went to work there, made an arrangement, took his daughters, married her, has his own family, wants to leave. Laban doesn't want to allow it. Now he's fighting Laban. I wonder if he, in his mind, thinking to himself, listen, I had an encounter with Jesus, which was literally Jesus. I've got this promise on my life. Now I'm struggling with somebody trying to kill me. 
he leaves Laban and he, as he leaves Laban and finishes this negotiation, he runs into Esau. My, my man, I think by himself, leave her hours. I just missed this fight. I'm running into the next fight. How many people wants to kill me? This is his life story. He doesn't leave the one end. Goes like, because what, this is what people think. They think if God is working in your life, you can change church every three months. It doesn't happen. You don't get to restart your life. You have one life and it's all connected. So he leaves Laban. He says, okay, I'm starting a new chapter. Turns around and goes like Esau. Now his brother wants to kill him. His brother is nuts. He knows this. So he takes his family. I'm, I'm rushing. He takes his family, puts one on this side, puts one half on this side. Now he begins to pray. says, God, it's a belief. My, bro my brother is nuts. He's going to kill me. I'm rushing the story. He's going to kill me. Help me out. So he dreams yet another dream. Where's this? At birth of Jacob. Uh, Jacob's increases in wealth, the wrestling. Now in chapter 32, he wrestles with a man. The Bible says he wrestles with man. But the Bible also says in the portion of text, he was alone. So he's wrestling with God. And at this wrestle, the man realizes that he doesn't want to let him go. And so the man touches the socket of his hip and he now has a limp for the rest of his life. He is the man that God is going to turn into Israel, but his hip is dislocated on the journey there. If you want to be successful and if you want to be used of God, you have to understand that there are going to be happen things in your life that God is going to work in you to figure out who, that you can figure out who you are, figure out who he is. And then God is going to make some adjustments in your life. And then at this point, when he wrestles with God, God says to him, your name is Jacob, but from now on, you'll be called Israel. And because he wrestles with God and would not let this man go, this man realized that I, I, this guy is not going to give up. How many of you are giving up too fast? You're young. I'm preaching this to you while you're young. So that when you turn 23 and 24 and life begins to happen to you, that you would realize this is maybe one of those fights where I shouldn't give up. If I'm stuck in a job that pays me seven grand a month or three grand a month, I'm not stuck here. I'm not stupid. This is just a detour and God is helping me. And God dislocates him. But God says to him at that moment, he says to him, from now on, you'll be called Israel. And God puts this, reminds him of this promise that God had put in his life. And he walks away with a limp. But he walks away with the story of a guy who worked 14 years for his wife. Work, worked 14 years to get the wives who will give him the children. He's the guy who has found a problem with God. And as he is limping away, there's scars of life in his story. Now when, he, when we say he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is not the guy the God that Jacob heard about in the stories his dad told him around the dinner table. He is the guy that knows this God. His car says, I've had encounters with him. I've wrestled with him. I've struggled through my understanding with him. I know that life is full of ups and downs, but if I persist, somehow this God is going to get me there. He, he came to me when I didn't deserve it, when I was yet called Jacob. And he said to me, I'm making something out of you. God is making something out of my life. I might have a limp, I lost some friends along the way. I might have a limp, but I'm moving towards my destiny. Amen. I'm going to finish this in three minutes. So Jacob is now living on the place where the promised land is. He's living in Canaan. He has 
11 sons. Benjamin is not born yet. Joseph is the 11th son. Isaac, Israel, likes Joseph. He is the last born. There's a lot, Lamiki. I see. Lost again. How many of you are the lost child? You are the lucky ones. He has this child called uh, Joseph, and Joseph is in his father's story. If Joseph was born to the neighbors, the Peterse, no problem. Or the Bunzaiers, so we were called. But now he is born to, to, to Jacob, Israel. Because he's born in Jacob, God is he's already marked because God is doing something in his family line. And Jacob gets born. He walks around. He's a teenager. Tells his brothers he has a dream. One night he goes to bed. He, all he did was go to sleep. And God says, your dad and your brothers will bow down before you. He goes like, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll like to hear that. Walks out the room, goes like, hey, Benjamin, Reuben. Soon and very soon, you'll be bowing down before me. And they look at him like Leah looked at Isaac, at Jacob. All confused. I say, you think we're going to bow down before you? And what they do is they rip his jacket off, put him in a hole. And now little Joseph is standing there looking, Papa. And they take the jacket back and Israel who thought, okay, I'm settled in Canaan. I have my sons. They're going to multiply and they're going to have children. It's going to be party, party, party. All he gets back is a jacket full of blood. His son is dead. And this is some of the hurts in his life. And that moment that he goes down, he doesn't know that God is working for his future. And that his son is busy being trained to be the prince in Egypt. He is, he's going to be the governor in Egypt of the food supply for the entire nation. All he feels is the hurt because he lost the son. He doesn't know in the hurt of losing a son, God is working for his future. I preached to you this message in the hopes to tell you that that's what Joseph went through and Jacob went through and Isaac went through. These are just a few of the characters. And if you go look at everyone's life, we'll preach some of these stories in the future. You'll find that all of them went through tough times, went through hard times. And all of them, we are still telling and reading and rethinking about their stories. Their lives mean something. What are you going through? What is the thing that you say, this is enough to take out my destiny? What are you allowing the devil to use to rob you of what God can do with your life? Do you think you're just supposed to get married and every month survive on your, your salary and that's all you do? You think that's the life that God died for you to have? What fight are you refusing to fight? Jacob didn't want to let go of God. God said he realized that this man is not going to let him go and he touched the hip, socket of his hip. Are you, are you wrestling with God until you get a breakthrough? What sin has ensnared you? I'll give you the answer. Some of you, it's pornography. We have people in this church who are on steroids. They're destroying their marriages because of steroids, because steroids makes you aggressive, but you want to be, you want to look big. 
You're not fighting the right fight. You're fighting the wrong fight. What are you allowing the devil to ensnare you with? You have an argument with your wife or your girlfriend and you're engaged and you're allowing the devil to rob you. What are you giving a foothold in your life? You, you, I don't want to call out everything because if I do, then you isolate that and say, oh, that's not me. What if God wants to do something bigger? What if God wants to do more? What if God wants to take you, turn your world upside down and show your family, show your parents and make you a, turn your story into a testimony that this is where I was and this is what God did with me. How hard will you fight for a purpose worth mentioning? We said it this morning, I'll close, I'll really try and close. We said it this morning. The standard is so much more difficult to reach that God wants you on. You have to reach higher. You have to dream bigger. And you have to believe bigger. You have to believe so big that I don't have to tell you to fast. You'll be a person that says I go fasting. And when I say that, don't go fast seven days and make yourself sick. That's not the intention. And if you fast every week and it turns into a ritual more than it turns into a pursuit of God, then it's not a fast anymore. But if you really want to be used of God, I remember in my younger days, I parked my car on top of that mountain. I prayed. I cried and I wept so many nights praying to God, do something with me. Do something with me. Here is my life. Make something of me. I prayed that so often. I refused to accept that I'll just be the same as everyone else. I wanted God to do something. And God took somebody who nobody could see the potential in. I was overlooked. I was pushed to the side. I was rejected. All of those things was my story too. I just refused to give up. Why is the devil convincing you that you should give up? What can happen if God can make you free? Free of your sins and addictions and your problems and your complaints. God begins to build a story in your life. And somehow we believe that it's not one in a million. It's everyone in this room that God does a great thing through. The dream is not how to become a millionaire. The dream is how to become used of God. That when I close my eyes, I know my maker. When I fall asleep at night, my sleep is sweet. When I put my head, even if, it, if I put my head down in a hard place, my God is there to visit my dreams.